I want to reiterate what Phil said, that this is, this is our desire. As a staff, this is our desire, was that through the power of Christ, that you would be made whole, that you would be healed, that you would be made new. And that's been our heart also throughout this entire series of going back to the basics. You see, not only did Jesus shed his blood so that we could have reconciliation back to God, he also promised us life and life abundantly. And so that's why we started. That's why we started with this whole Back to the Basics series. So if you're a first-time guest, I want to say welcome. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm uh, the more handsome stunt double for Phil Nelson, <laughs> or Pastor Phil. Uh, but I want to catch you up on where we've gone so far in our Back to the Basics series. See, we started out with... A healthy spirituality. It all comes back to our relationship with the Lord. It all comes back to an alignment that we have with who He's created us to be and what He desires for us. So we learned what it meant to align yourself to Christ and to love God with all of your heart. But that brought us to the second part of the series, which was healthy relationships. See, because you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. So, the two greatest commandments are love God and love people. And so we walked through that. We walked through relational health, working through bitterness, and being able to forgive. The next thing we went to was healthy finances. And that was really more about heart issues than it was about money. And this morning, like Phil said, we're going to start a four-week subseries about healthy emotions. And I was laughing with Phil earlier this week, and you may be chuckling a little bit too, of the irony that I am the one that is starting this Healthy Emotion series. I'm the guy that laughs at the saddest parts of movies. I've been often accused of not having a soul, and so I can say that throughout this whole experience of studying for this and preparing, God has really been working in me. You see, I've never been more convinced in my life that there is a need for healthy spiritual emotions. It's a part of my life that had been left unchecked by the Lordship of Christ for so long. It had been a root of many of the issues that I had faced in my past and honestly some of the ones that I face today. So since this has to be a work of the Holy Spirit because I really don't feel like I'm prepared or able to, to give this, let's, let's pray. God, we just... Uh, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful that you brought everybody here from wherever they came from, from out of town or from locally. Uh, God, you brought us all here, and it's for your plan and purpose. So, Lord, I just pray I just get out of the way. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say. Give me wisdom. And, God, I pray that you would minister. It wouldn't be some flashy thing that I said, but you you would be the one that would minister to each and every one of us this morning. God, please make your presence known. We need you even more than we know. And it's in your name, amen. So this morning, we're going to address the elephant in the room. We're going to look at the problem that has lied under the surface, that has been unchecked, that honestly goes rarely addressed in the church, and is quite often the product of misapplication of scriptures, and that's healthy spiritual emotions. 
as I keep saying this, many of you may think this is kind of an oxymoron, right? I mean, aren't we taught that emotions are like our enemy? That, that they can't be trusted? That they're a product of a lack of faith? We're often taught not to fear, not to worry. But when we find ourselves in those situations, we begin to feel guilty because of maybe our lack of faith. And so we suppress those emotions. We push them down. Or we, honestly, we just detach ourselves from the situation or from the reality that we face. For some of you, and I don't mean to overgeneralize, but for the guys, you're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about at all. This healthy emotions thing, I don't even know what emotions are. I don't deal with them on a daily basis. And so bear with me. This is important. Well, for some of you, emotions are something that, one, you can't trust because if you honestly looked back at your life, you would see that many of the moral failures, many of the wrong choices, many of the situations that you say you could go back and change were emotionally charged. You were angry, so you did that. You felt lonely, so you did this. You were fearful, and so you responded in that way. Whatever your experience or view of emotions this morning, one thing that we see in Scripture is that we are built in God's image, and God has built us with emotions. We see emotions in every single part of the Trinity. God, you see, he was sorrowful over the state of humanity before the flood. He saw his precious creation destroying itself because of the choices they were making. God was angry, but it wasn't an uh, unwarranted anger. He was angry because the people that he loved, the Israelites, they kept turning away. They kept making wrong choices. They kept leading themselves to destruction. And so he was angry about that. And it was a loving anger. Jesus, he was angry when he came into the temple and he found that they had turned it into a marketplace, a place that uh, took advantage and extorted Gentiles so they couldn't experience God. Jesus wept over the death of his dear friend Lazarus. Even though he knew he was getting ready to raise him from the dead, he still wept. He showed compassion for those who were sick, who were hurting, and who were marginalized around him. The Holy Spirit, it speaks to tenderness in Romans chapter 8 when we cry out, Abba, Father. And it also talks about grieving and bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. So emotions are a part of God's design. But it's also a part that needs to experience the redemptive power of Christ. You see, every aspect of creation had been, has been corrupted by sin and emotions are honestly no different sin has corrupted things that are good so we can't neglect the need for the gospel to come and change every part of us not just our actions not the outward appearance but what's inside our heart our mind our thoughts our attitudes our emotions ephesians 4 23 through 24 says instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like Christ, truly righteous and holy. Put on the new nature. 
So let's go ahead and address the iceberg. On April 15, 1912, the unthinkable happened. The Titanic that was championed as the unsinkable ship sank, and more than 1,500 people died that day, including Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> the Titanic. I, I, I just couldn't resist. Can we all agree that there was room on the board for Leo? I mean, that was just selfish. All right. The Titanic sunk. It's going to be a while to reel it back in. The Titanic sunk because it was struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic, and the damage was catastrophic. You see, if you, if you look at an iceberg, only 10% is visible to the naked eye. The rest lies under the surface, so something that looks small and insignificant can actually be large and devastating. We can find many similarities uh, to the ice, from icebergs to our spiritual and emotional health. See, we focus on the things that are visible, right? We focus on what people see, what people's impressions are of us. You may have grown up like I did, thinking that following Jesus was about behavior modification. The, the do's and don'ts, it was the outward appearance, it was what you wear, it was what music you listened to, it was the words you said. But in my experience, something was missing. See, I found myself in cycles. Meaning that I had, even, I had been a Christian for 10 years, but instead of being a 10-year-old Christian, I found myself having 10 years of being a one-year-old Christian over and over and over again, repeating the same struggles, struggling with the same sin patterns in my life, and honestly not experiencing any lasting change. You may be able to identify that with that this morning, and so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're going through this series of emotional health, and I want to start out with a principle, and it says this, that, that spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are inseparable. Spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are inseparable. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. In other texts, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. And what that is, is it's basically, patterns are there before you get there, right? So before you were even born, there was a pattern. There was a way the world did things. There was a way that the world or your family dealt with anger, disappointment, loss, strife, betrayal. There was already a pattern there before you existed. There was a pattern before you went to school. There was a pattern before you went to college. There was a pattern before you went to work. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed we talk about that all the time. We want to see Christ transform you, change you, be the instrument of change in your life. But it's interesting, it says here, by renewing your mind. Here's where that principle comes in about spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are inseparable. That is the process of renewing your mind as you change your attitude, change your thoughts. And let me just go ahead and say that this is not something that we do. We don't, I don't wake up this morning and say, change thoughts, change thoughts, change attitudes. I can try. 
It's not going to work. We've seen that from life experience. The agent of change in our mind has to be Christ. And Christ will only go wherever you allow him to. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but emotions are powerful because it, it kind of shapes our thought process. It shapes uh, the way we respond to actions and then what we do in response to that. So an unhealthy response to, uh, to Scripture can be a product of unhealthy spiritual emotions. You may read a scripture and you may feel condemned because you read the scripture. You may think, I'm never going to be able to measure up to this. And your perspective has dictated that truth of scripture to you. And so when we renew our minds, we begin to see God for who he truly is. We begin to see his love for us. We begin to see his pursuit for us. And we seem to see his plan for us and his desires for us are good, acceptable, and perfect. But the larger the gap between our emotional maturity and our spiritual maturity grows, the larger the iceberg gets and the more prone we are to shipwreck our lives. So let me tell you about my iceberg story. And I want to be honest with you, I am still a work in progress. Even preparing for this message, even looking at this week, God was convicting me of areas that I had not given him access. So I don't stand before you as complete, I've got it all figured out. So walk with me in this. My 90%, so what is under the surface, this is just a part of my 90%, I should say, is that I struggle with people pleasing and what people think of me. You see, I have this fear of letting people down or disappointing them. And so I run and I hide when it looks like I'm going to fail. I did it in college. I did it in my relationships. I've done it at work. I will stick my head in the sand and fill my life with quick and easy pleasures or distractions to silence the deafening shout that something is wrong. This permeated into all my relationships, even my relationship with the Lord, because I knew he would get disappointed with me. I knew that I would constantly fail him, and I just felt like I could feel the weight of his disappointment on me. The guilt was unbearable. So I would run. I would run, and I would hide from him. I would stick my head in the sand and act like there, he wasn't there or that the choices that I was making was not destroying my life. Like I said, that's just a small part of my 90%. So I want you guys to just pause for a second. And What's your 90%? Take time to reflect on the choices that you've made, on the trajectory of your life. What is behind it? What are those things behind it that are driving the emotions in your life? It's worth, I said it earlier, and it's, it's worth noting again, if, if, I, if you look back on your life and you examine those moral failures, won't you see the emotions behind them? When you were angry, you said that, and now you can't take it back. 
You were lonely, and so you did that, or you looked at that. You were fearful, so you hid and you didn't step up. You were worried and you were anxious. So you went ahead and did something that you knew wasn't the right idea. Emotions are these responses that something is going on inside of us. I heard it said, emotions like an energy. It is constantly moving in your body and is constantly reacting to what's going on in your circumstances. So that means that because of your life choices and because of your present situation, you are going to respond to things differently than I will. And so this is an individual pursuit. This is an individual thing where you have to look underneath the surface. You have to allow Christ access to that 90% so that you can see what's really going on. We're going to take four weeks to unpack this. So I don't have time to go into all of the application about emotional, spiritual healthiness. So what, what I want to do today is kind of pop the bubble, I guess, is to go through maybe some symptoms that you may be experiencing emotional, unhealthy spirituality. This is not an exhaustive list. It's, it's long. It's ten things. So just be, be, be prepared. But I want it to be some food for thought as you self-examine your life and give Christ access to your emotions. So the first thing, that we see first symptom of unhealthy or emotional unhealthy spirituality is using God to run from God. This is one of the more difficult and deceptive things to discern because on the surface everything looks good, right? You're busy, you're doing God's thing, doing God's work, you're praying, you're having your time with the Lord. But you're ignoring the difficult areas in your life. You're ignoring the things, the areas that God desires to work with. God has limited access. Here's some examples of what that might look like. When you do God's work, you're doing it to satisfy yourself and not Him. When I do things in His name that He has never asked me to do, when my prayers are really about God doing my will and not surrendering to His, when I demonstrate Christian behavior so that significant people around me will think well of me. This one's, a, this one's a big one. When I use God's truth to judge or devalue others, meaning you're taking the word of God and you're using it to tear down. You're using it to isolate. You're using it to set up a spiritual tier where you are on a better playing field than somebody else. Another one is when you say, well, the Lord told me to do this, or the Lord told me that I should do this, instead of, I think this is what he said. It's when you use scripture to justify the sinful parts of your life, instead of evaluating them under God's lordship. When you hide behind spiritual talks, godly words, bless you brother, you know, how's it going? great, brother. Things are good. God's good. God's good all the time. But you deflect. You're really deflecting the spotlight out of those inner issues. And you become defensive when people talk to you about your failures. When you apply biblical truth selectively as it suits your purposes and you avoid any situation 
that would require you to make any significant life change. Those are just some examples of using God to actually run from God. The second one is ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Like I said earlier, many of you were taught that having these feelings of anger or sadness or fear were unbiblical and they fell under areas of obedience or you were being disobedient. But to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. God created us in his image and he has emotions. We have emotions because of God. So I want to talk just even about just one real quick as an example. Um, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. James 1.19, Be slow to anger. What these scriptures are telling us is that never, not, they're not saying never get angry. So no anger is actually not good. The blow-up kind of anger is also not good. What the Bible is, is saying is slow anger. Think about when, when Moses and Jesus, I'm sorry, Moses and God were on Mount Sinai and they were hanging out. He was getting the Ten Commandments and Moses asked, God, I want to see you. I want to know. I want to see your face. And God said, you can't see my face. You're going to die. And so many of you know the story. He was put in the rock and God passed by. But when God passed by, he announced who he was and he said that he is slow to anger anger is actually a form of love think about it when you see someone that you love and their life is being ravaged by drugs alcohol or poor choices you get angry you get angry for what it is doing to the person that you love I said earlier that God got angry at the Israelites in the Old Testament, but that was because of his great love for them. He pursued them, and his anger was that they were sabotaging their life, and he was upset that they were falling short of what he created and desired them to be. Anger is love in motion towards something or someone that you love. Sorry, anger is love in motion towards something or someone that you love that is in danger. So we don't throw away all anger. But when we get anger, we, angry, we need to ask, why? Why am I angry in this situation? Because if the, if the thing that we love is being threatened, maybe that's our, our kids. And our kids and their pursuit of the Lord. And so we're zealous, we're angry, because we want our kids to experience God for all he has to offer. Or are we angry because we really love the self-approval of others? That we love money or we love the confidence that we have in ourselves, and when that's threatened, we get angry. So what is the object of your love? When you get angry, what, why? Why are you, is there you experiencing that? When you get sad, when you're fearful, when you're lonely, when you're joyful, when you're happy, all of these emotions are great to ask why. 
why am I experiencing this? What is behind this that is driving these emotions? Third thing we see is you're dying to the wrong things. Luke 9.23 tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And as a young believer, I, I believe that it was denying everything, that I couldn't have anything that I enjoyed, anything that could bring me uh, joy or happiness, because that might be an idol. That might take me away from my devotion to the Lord. But God is not calling us to die to the good things that he has given us as blessings. St. Arrhenius, uh, who was a second century bishop, said that the glory of God is a human being being fully alive. Jesus purchased us to experience not only a right relationship with God, but life abundantly. This Back to the Basics series is about abundant life, and that's what we want for all of you. So God created amazing things for our enjoyment, and you know what happens when we enjoy those things in right relationship with God? It brings Him glory and pleasure. So denying ourselves is not the annihilation of ourself. It's not the annihilation of the person that God has created us to be. It is, however, shedding the sin that is preventing us from becoming the man or woman that God has created us to be. Fourth thing, denying the past impact on the present. This is powerful. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that those who are in Christ are a new creation. And honestly, that is an amazing truth from the gospel, that we are a new creation. But honestly, sometimes that gets us to never, ever deal with our past. We turn a blind eye to it because we think, I'm a new creation, I'm a new creation, I can't walk in these ways, I'm a new creation. But being a new creation doesn't mean you completely forsake and don't even look back in your past. It actually gives you the power and the ability to go back and break the chains of your past because you're a new creation. Sin of your past that is left unaddressed will visit us in our present. And not only that, we have generational sin that impacts us even when we don't even know about it. Generational sin is just this, is that the sins of the parents end up coming down to future generations. My father and I, we, uh, we sat down one time in my apartment and we had a list of, of major sins that we had committed in our lives. And we had a checklist and we were checking through different things. And then we compared notes and they were identical. Absolutely identical to very specific major sins, identical. And so we need to address our past. Our past is having an effect on our future. It is driving the emotions in our lives. It is, it is changing our perspective and how we deal with loved ones, how we deal with friends, how we deal with work because of the betrayals and the disappointments of our past. Fifth thing, dividing our lives into secular and sacred components. I can stand before you to say that we have a really uncanny ability to compartmentalize and lead double lives. We can sing songs like, I surrender all, and I do this on Sunday morning, and I'll think, I don't even know if, I don't think that reflects my life at all. I'll step out of church, and it's, it's obvious that God's not the Lord of my life. 
And this is something that I've struggled with, and honestly, it's still a struggle today. I would sing, and I would walk, and I would talk about Jesus being Lord on Sunday and in small group, but at work, with my friends, in the secret places, that wasn't true. A.W. Tozer has a pretty powerful quote, and it says, Christians don't tell lies. They go to church, and they sing them. <laughs> Who wants to join the worship team? <clears throat> Bring, putting us into sin. Okay, my wife's on the worship team. Hi, Lainey. She, I know, and Brent, too. Hi, Brent. A lot of other people are, but she's, she's at home watching live stream, so I'm sure she's mad. Uh, <clears throat> But it's important to know, that are, are we compartmentalizing our trust in the Lord? You know, are we giving him just certain aspects of our lives and then not giving him lordship in others? Isn't that kind of weird to think about? That we would trust God with the salvation of our eternal soul, which is the most precious commodity we can ever, ever possess, yet we don't trust him with our day in and day out needs. Six. Doing for God instead of being with God. We are always on the go. It's a part of our culture. Our schedules and our calendars are packed to the brim. I mean, sitting in silence, it's like bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yes. So, that, some people get that, some people don't. Just look it up online. It's awesome. But... Our worth in our Western culture is very much comprised of what we do, what we experience. And that's why we get FOMO. All right, so for the older generation that's here, I didn't cuss, I promise. <laughs> FOMO stands for fear of missing out. And we, it keeps us constantly going, constantly having to compare, pursue. And the mentality is that we always have to do, always have to go. And when that trickles over into our spiritual life, something terrible happens. You know, because we begin to see our worth for God by what we're doing for him instead of just being with him. It says that God loved us before he even created the earth. He saw you, he saw you, he saw you, and he loved you. It's not. He, we don't need to do things for God. He desires to just be with him. Yes, we get to be a part of his plan here on earth, but don't, don't prioritize your self-worth in the do. We feel pressure when we do that. We feel guilt that we always need to do something. You've heard the comparisons of Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And Martha is constantly working when Jesus is around. She's got so much to do. Feed everybody. Got to clean everything. Got to make sure everything's good. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. I mean, it's got to be great for him, right? But she fails to realize that the prize is Jesus. That sitting at his feet is the greatest thing that she can do, and it's the best choice possible. The seventh thing. And thank you for staying with me so far. I know this is a lot. The seventh thing is spiritualizing away conflict. When we sweep conflict under the rug, we don't encourage a fellow believer to follow in obedience because we don't want to rock the boat. 
stuffing our feelings because we want to be the peacemaker in a situation and not bring things up. Jesus never shied away from conflict. Think about John chapter 8. The Pharisees are bringing a woman that's caught in the act of adultery before Jesus, and they say, what are you going to do about it? This is what the law says. What do you think we should do? What did Jesus do? He didn't shy away from the conflict. I mean, imagine if he would have. Imagine if he'd been like, oh, I got somebody calling me over there, healing to do, so uh, I got to go. No, he stood, and he fought. He fought for what was valuable. And we will learn something amazing in that, in that story. It was one, that Jesus didn't shy away from conflict, but two, he wouldn't miss an opportunity to fight for the sinners that he loves. And that's all of us. So Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, if, if, you're, if, you have, if you are offering a gift at the altar and then remember your brother has something against you, it says leave the gift there and go and leave the gift before you go to the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother. And then come back and worship. You see the priorities there? Sweeping away conflict, over-spiritualizing conflict. I mean, this is a person that's getting ready to go worship God. I mean, that's about as spiritual as it gets, right? But instead, it's better for him to leave that, go and be reconciled, go deal with the situation, and then come and worship eighth thing we see is covering over brokenness, weak, weakness, and failure. There is something in all of us that does not want to be exposed or feel vulnerable. There is a pressure that hovers over all of us that we try to portray that we got it all together. You know, we're strong. However, there's a really upside-down principle that we learn in the Gospels, and that is the Christian faith, in the Christian faith, weakness and dependency is actually to our advantage. Weakness and dependency is actually to our advantage. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. This is after Paul is asking God to take away the thorn in his side. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly uh, of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We struggle with this with confession. A part of us does not want to expose our sins to others. But there's no greater lie of the enemy that says that it's much better to keep things to yourself than to actually confess. See, when we do that, and I know this from personal experience, we hide. And we constantly have to defend and watch over that thing that's in the darkness. But 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship, meaning... We get reconciliation with one another. And the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. If we try to cover our sins, they will be exposed. If we expose our sins, Christ will cover them. Nine, living without limits. The best way I can describe this is, is being comfortable with who we are as humans, that we have limitations and weaknesses. 
We're not God, and we can't be that to everybody everywhere. Even Jesus, when he was here, he didn't heal everyone that was sick. He didn't raise everybody from the dead. And I know that it's, it's easy to struggle with selfishness, but don't confuse that with self-care. You need to rest. You need to have downtime, and you need to be comfortable with saying no. The last, judging other people's spiritual journey. Jesus tells us to take the log out of our eye before we take the speck out of our own eye. And the principle of this is just self-examination. It's so much easier for me to point out your flaws than it is to actually deal with what's going on in my heart. I would much rather deflect the spotlight from the darkness inside me and point it right at you. It takes little effort for me to be critical, whereas it requires great effort for life change uh, and, intentional, and intentionality. And this creates the us versus them mentality that honestly maybe you've experienced at the church. This is a lot of the reasons why the world doesn't like us, because we will categorize people, we will rate sins, and we will widen the gap between us and them. And when we do that, we lose the opportunity to share the hope that we have because it's so much easier for me to point out your sin than it is to deal with mine. I know this is a long list. Thank you all for at least just being able to absorb this. But I do want us to go back to this. And if the band would come up, we need to address the 90%. What is unchecked? The surface looks good. You're going to church. You're dealing with things. You're tithing. You're doing all of these things right. You have a pristine white surface, but under here, there's so much. There's so much going on under the surface. What's going on in your 90%? And I want to encourage you to come back. Me today, I was just popping the bubble. I want you to come back for the next three weeks. Pastor Phil is going to bring some incredible healing. And he said this earlier, and we watched the video, but I would really encourage you to come to the RLI, the Restoring Lives International. I'm going to be there because I need it. So often, we prioritize wrong things, and it's safe to say that. What if in this seven-day period during Restoring Lives International, you experience freedom that you can take for the rest of your life? What if that freedom then passes to your next generation, to your kids in that generation? Is it worth readjusting your schedule for seven days? Is it worth saying no to a couple things? Meetings, dinners, kids' sports? Really? These are things that we can look back and we can say, I was emotionally unstable, unhealthy. I made terrible choices. I'm living in 20, 10, 5, 50 years of these consequences. Wouldn't it be good to take seven to eight days to unwind from that, to experience healing, wholeness, wellness? Just imagine the impact that happens there. Imagine what happens in your marriage 
what happens in your relationship with your kids, what happens in your relationship with your friends, with whoever you're dating. Imagine that, what, what happens to the next generation when you do that. So the last thing I want to do, and I want to leave one scripture with you, and I want to leave you with a homework assignment. I know, I'm sorry. I want you to write down this scripture, I mean just the reference, you don't have to write down the whole thing. And I want you to say it through, to yourself throughout this week. Search me. Search me. Search me, O oh God. Shine a light into uh, what's under the surface and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I give you access. Show me. Show me what, is, what I'm doing as shipwrecking my life. Show me any grievous way that's in me and lead me. Give me the strength to follow you to that great, abundant life, that great glory that you desire for me here and now. Give me the strength to follow. So search me. Know my heart. Try, my, try me and know my thoughts. Expose it. And let God change you. Let God work anew in you, and you can be a standing testimony that you are a new creation, that your past no longer has chains over you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I f I'm so sorry that I don't, I don't always do this. I'd much rather put on a front like I've got it all together that I don't have any issues, but Lord, search me, know me. I give you access to me. And I say, Lord, please have your way. I know that your plan is perfect and your will is good, that your love for me is greater than I can even imagine and that you in this moment right now are pursuing me and pursuing us you're pursuing us to know you, to experience abundant life. So, Father, I just pray right now that you would give us the ability to disarm ourselves, to throw down our weapons, to throw down the walls that we have built up, the scars that have left so much pain. I ask that you would come in, would remove all of that, and God, expose us to your unabashed, unashamed, reckless love for us. Thank you. Thank you, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.